settle down on the wiggly sofa for your weekly escape to life in rural Herefordshire. Join us every Monday as we cover the environment, farming and biodiversity and the things we can do to make a difference. Plus, you'll learn about life at Wiggly Wigglers, current small business champion for the UK. I am Noelle from Wiggly Wigglers and I look after the mealworms. Oh, Noel, it's nice of you to come in. Tell me, how have you come to come to Wiggly's? I've come to Wiggly Wigglers as my husband got a job with Farmer Phil. So I had to move from Wellenborough. And what did you do there? I was a housekeeper at a hotel. I've worked in hotels all my life. I bet your beds are nicely made at home, aren't they? Yes, they are. Very nice, (laughs) cornered. (laughs) And have you always got fresh towels out? Yes, fresh towels. (laughs) And what do you say to Kevin when he comes home from work? I'll say, what have you been doing today for Farmer Phil? Fantastic. And is there anything that you like or dislike about your job at Wigglers? No, I really enjoy it and Hereford is a very nice place and I've met a lot of new friends. That's lovely. Your co-hosts today are Heather and Richard. Well... Thank you. I'm joined on the Wiggly Sofa by... Richard. Uh, but he's got a new name now. Oh, right. Today's new name is... is Fractious Fishbourne. <laughs> yeah, a bit of a with... grumpy head on. <laughs> a nerve with Phil again. <laughs> <laughs> Funny that. You are, in fact, a bear with a sore head. Yeah, a bear with a sore jaw. Yeah, so what happened, Rich? I sprained the muscle in my jaw that connects my jaw to my skull. <laughs> You've got jaw ache. Jaw ache, yeah. I'm not sure how I did it. Sarah seems to think it's too much talking. I thought you said you had a little piece of string at the I wiggly I, I reckon, I cow reckon shed night. Cow shed night. I was famished a bit into the beef bun and managed to bite on a knot. <laughs> <laughs> the string that had been left in my brain, whether it was done out of... My there. devious plan worked, <laughs> therefore, <laughs> and the fractious yeah. fishbourne will no longer be able to talk rubbish about hedges for a while. Yeah, and yeah. so here is That's Phil. Fun. Welcome, Hi. Phil. And just to put you in the picture, listener, Richard has a big bandage which ties just on the top of his head and a little bow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah. yeah. Now then, a couple of things that I've been wondering. Just quickly... Our podcast crept up to 30, 35 minutes. Is it too long? We'd like to have your feedback. We think maybe we should, you know, keep it to 25 minutes. And the other thing that Richard and I spoke about was the time of the week. Wasn't it, Rich? Yeah, we did. Well, you thought it might be a good idea perhaps to do a podcast or put the podcast out on a Friday instead of on the Monday that we usually put it out on. Now, we don't know if that's technically possible. Michael's sitting here going, ooh, I'm not sure. But but the thing that we wondered was, if you're going to settle down, is it right to do it on a Monday morning? Let us know, listener. What do you think, Phil? If you've got iTunes and you've subscribed, then it's there whenever you're ready for it. That's right, but I'm a podcast addict and I feel I'm out of date if I don't download at the right time because what if you're mentioning something in that week? Anyway, moving on. What's on this week? We turn the tables on a journalist. Andy West from Wyvern FM gets the wiggly treatment. We've got Jane Peroni, who's from Guardian Unlimited, who wants to know... Why they put magnets inside cows. Do you yeah. know that? I'd like to know that. As yeah, well. would you? Yeah. <laughs> so Farmer Phil's in here to tell us that. We've got Monty's Wormcast. But first, we've got some listeners' feedbacks. Would you like to read the first one out, Rich? 
I will. Hello there. I've just listened to my first podcast and it was yours from last week. I found it extremely interesting and amusing. As a young family, we are very interested in British produce and buying locally sourced produce. We use an organic veg box scheme, but as one of your listeners said, we are dictated to by the farmer as to what we get. I would happily buy from farm shops, but don't know where to find them. We live in a built-up area between Nottingham and Derby, so finding farms will be time-consuming. Is there anywhere that holds a list of farm shops? Is there anywhere that holds a list of farm shops? Yes, there is, and you go to www.bigbarn.co.uk. There you are. Going on, I did become slightly annoyed by one of your topics, she says. That was Mother's Day. What is Mother's Day? In Britain, we have always had Mothering Sunday. This Mother's Day that is constantly referred to these days is just a commercial card company way of making people spend more money. Ooh. She's absolutely right, of course, isn't she? Mm. And it, it was foolish of us, really. <laughs> and we, and we apologise. <laughs> we do. We've seen the error of our ways. She goes on, it doesn't seem to have anything to do with appreciating all the hard work our mothers put in raising us. Please call it by our traditional British name of Mothering Sunday and stop the American card companies from taking over. OK, well, we, uh, we take your points and we apologise. Phil, what is the new word that we're going to use? Mothering Sunday. Well done. Yeah. Mothering Sunday from me too. And you, Ricardo. <laughs> Absolutely, Mothering Sunday. In fact, I think it's your influence that made me call it something other than Mother's Day. No, it Sunday. wasn't. It was you. <laughs> it was definitely you. Yeah, Mother's Day, probably, <laughs> quite probably. Anyway, have you finished? So, yeah, so moving on, what she did say, her, her last parting words were, well done, I shall be recommending it to anyone who will listen. So that is our podcast. And then she did say something about PSing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know that you'll probably be thinking that I'm an old lady, but in actual fact, I'm 21. And uh, she also says she's about not. How she's 29. 29, sorry. <laughs> she also says about how successful her can of worms is and how she enjoys Monty's worm fact. Brilliant. And after that, Caroline wrote in after she heard you calling Noah names, nice. Noah the cat. She wrote in to tell you that her cat Millie was a beautiful cat, didn't catch birds, and she sent a picture of Millie listening to your song thrush sat on the sofa with her iPod in front of the cat. <laughs> yeah. So you can find that picture on wigglywigglers.blogspot.com. Fantastic. That Mother in Sunday thing, I've got to tell you both that we've had our first two orders from the US of A. Flowers. Now, we know we can't send flowers out there, but the American listeners have sent flowers to their relatives in the UK. And here's our first response. I'll try and do an American accent. Uh, perhaps you shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try not to do an American accent. Okay. Thank you so much for this order. <laughs> My mother was over the moon with the flowers. As I live in Montana, it's great to find a local flower delivery service that's so local, knows where they live and has such beautiful flowers. I'll definitely be using again. Thanks again, Jackie. And just so that you don't think that I can't do an American accent, her email starts with yeehaw. <laughs> That's convincing. Anyway. <laughs> Thank you, Richard. That's all right. Anyway, we've got to get on to this magnet thing, haven't we? Yes, absolutely. This is from Jane Peroni. Hi, Heather. I'm still loving the Wiggly podcast. Definitely a milker. I have a question I'm hoping you or Farmer Phil can answer. Well, there's no hope of me. It's a cow-related question that I feel somewhat silly asking. But I have to know whether it's true. 
Is there such a thing as a cow magnet? A magnet a few inches long that farmers put into cows' stomachs to prevent hardware disease, where cows become ill because metal objects they accidentally swallow, such as nails, damage their guts. I've read about it on the web, but as you know, the net isn't a totally reliable source of information. If cow magnets are real, my other question is, what stops the cow uh, passing the magnet before it does the job? Yours disbelievingly, Jane from The Guardian. And I've emailed Jane with my response to her question. But we need to know, is it true? Hardware disease, I think, must be an Americanism because in this country it's known as a cow having a wire. It originated from bits of fencing wire getting picked up in the machinery making hay or silage, the cow eating them, and the piece of wire goes down the gut and if it lodges in the intestine it will then slowly go through the side of the intestine and the cow will die of peritonitis. It gets an infection in the body cavity. So obviously something to be avoided. And there are various ways of doing it, and there are metal detectors on them. Just a minute. When the cow's chewing the grass, doesn't he notice that, that there's some it can metal? Be a very tiny piece, and no, they don't necessarily notice. And it's because the machinery might have chopped up a piece of wire that's left lying around the field into little pieces. There are, there are several ways around it. The forage harvesters that make silage have metal detectors on them, so that you can pick them up at that point. But then the machinery itself might be leaving fragments of metal from bearings or bits of machinery that fail that get into the foodstuff. How likely is this? Not likely, but then if the piece of metal kills the cow, you've only got to do it once. If you've got a highly valuable dairy cow or whatever, then it's... The idea is a cow's digestive system is made up of a series of stomachs. The first one is called the rumen and the cow eats the food into the rumen where it partially digests it, then it regurgitates it and chews the cud and then has another go. And so the inlet and the outlet of the rumen are both at the top of it. So if you put something heavy into it, it stays there. Small bits of wire and metal are not heavy enough so that they will go through it with the food, but a magnet will sit in the bottom of it quite happily, attracts any fragments of metal to it and stops them doing any damage to the rest of its gut. And because the outlet of the rumen is at the top, it doesn't allow the magnet to get out. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Similarly, (laughs) you use um, slow-release boluses, which are basically heavy, and they do the same thing, only instead of attracting bits and pieces to them, they slowly release vital minerals like magnesium to the animal. So you put a bolus in its rumen, and it will perhaps keep it in magnesium, for example, for two years before. Oh, it like a um, like a washing machine with a tablet in the net. If you like, yeah. <laughs> um, how do you get a cow to swallow a magnet? You use like a balling gun, which is a device that you literally stick down its throat, and then it pushes the bolus into it. They're not very big. How big? A couple of inches long by perhaps three quarters of an inch in diameter. Never knew that, did you? No, that's amazing. There's plenty of room to put things down a cow's neck. They've got yeah, yeah, yeah. plenty of capacity. Of necks. <laughs> have so you done that then? We don't use too. them, but then we don't make silage. So that our cattle have all the, the ryegrass straw left over from our grass seed crops so that we're not using as much machinery on it. And because it's dry, any fragments that might originate from the machinery tends to fall out of it as we're turning it and baling it so that it's a rare problem for us. Also, we try and make sure the fences are up together. So if you haven't got wire trailing around the fields, then it won't get into the machinery and damage that and all the animals. There you are. There you go, Jane. Thank you very much.
We've got a situation, haven't we, where the Wiggly's podcast is geared to convey a message. Yeah. You know, natural gardening, sustainable communities, all that sort of thing. And recently, Phil's gone to great lengths to go in and do a couple of interviews on our local radio station, Radio Wyvern in Worcester. And some of the things he said have been taken out of context, haven't they, Phil? Well, that's right. I got a bit edited so that uh, Farmer Phil said that Herefordshire farmers are revolting. And yeah. Farmer yeah. Phil said... <laughs> That he's got every sympathy with mothers taking their kids to school in the Range Rover. (laughs) But you you did say that, Phil. I did say that, yes. (laughs) But I said one or two other things as well. As you know, I like to waffle, and that was the trouble, I think. The plan was to be able to give people an idea of why badgers shouldn't be culled and how unfortunate 4x4s can be in a built-up situation. So, as part of Heather's cunning plan, you invited the guy who interviewed Phil down to the farm, didn't you? He phoned up for another interview, Andy West, the news editor from Wyvern, mm. and we were very pleased that he was able to give us another interview, but I thought it would be really good to turn the tables yeah. and see how the journalists worked and whether or not we could learn from them yeah. to be able to interview better and to see what he thought of how this whole thing would work. Right. So I said, yes, of course, we'll do an interview, which I think is on the radio this weekend. But would you mind if I interviewed you? And do you know what he said to me? <laughs> he said, what are the questions going to be? Yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. said, oh, I don't, I don't think I can tell you that. And he said, I said, how would that be if I asked you what the questions would be? And he said, yeah. oh, no, I don't let people ask me that. Yeah, so yeah. anyway, we went into the cow shed and um, turned the tables. Right, I'm here with Andy. And he is the Wyvern FM. What is it? News editor. (laughs) So the tables have been turned out. They have. I'm very nervous. (laughs) That's good. You know what it's like now, then. Yeah. As a farmer. It's not nice. No. (laughs) It'll be fine. Can you tell me a bit about your background and what you do at Wyvern? And by the way, listener, we're in the cow shed and we've got number 69 who is uh, taking a lot of interest in us and what we're doing. And and Andy just mentioned to me he has a slight phobia about cattle. (laughs) Which, which belies my background, which is not agricultural. Yeah, and this huge uh, beast has just walked uh, over to me, not meaning Heather. Uh, but yeah, my background, um, I guess I went to university in Preston in Lancashire in Northern England. Um, I got my first job as a journalist there. Obviously, Preston's kind of a, a large city. Uh, and then moved around cities uh, really uh, in the north and then uh, in the south, Milton Keynes, which isn't far from London. Um, and got the job as editor in uh, Worcester about eight or nine months ago. So really, it's been a very steep learning curve for me because it's the first patch I've been on where I've had to learn about you know all, all the stuff about the beef trade and uh, all, all sorts of farming and agriculture really which uh, yeah it's it's new to me so yeah. it's difficult I have to say but uh, I hopefully uh, people are fooled normally and they don't realize I'm such a dunce on the subject. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, what are the benefits do you think of interviewing farmers on local radio? Uh, well, the benefits in this area are clear because actually it's very easy when you're kind of based in a city like Worcester. It is a city, even though it's near a lot of farmers. You don't really often think that many of your listeners are in the farming community, but most people, I'd say, uh, either know someone who is in the farming community or, you know, a relative or they have been themselves or they are currently, you know, working on a farm uh, in one capacity or another. So people want to know about the things that affect them. And that's what we do as a service for news. You can't tell everyone everything, so you have to decide what people are going to be interested in. And 
you know from talking to people people like talking about themselves and hearing about themselves so uh, farming is a big way that we have to connect with our listeners and also the people who have nothing to do with farming it can be quite emotive like we've had a lot of stories recently about cows being uh, having to be culled when maybe there's nothing wrong with them with you know tb and i think even you know even people who are living in a you know an urban environment can kind of feel a certain empathy for the farmers from a business point of view but also with the animals because you know we all have pets and we all care for animals and yeah uh, and so you know on on two levels it's really relevant i Hmm. think so the link between the farmer and the consumer as well as just talking from farmer to farmer Mm. Well, I think things like foot and mouth, things like that, really brought it home, didn't it, to people, you know, living in the cul-de-sacs and, you know, <laughs> the, the urban environments that actually what happens on farms really does affect us. It's so easy when you walk into a, a, uh, a supermarket and, you, and you, you know, pick up a chicken that's wrapped in plastic, you kind of forget that actually it lived on a farm of some kind. And actually what happens on that farm affects how much you pay for that animal and, you know, beef here, talking about the, the cattle that we've got here. You know, it really is relevant to people and I think anything that can remind them of that, it's a help to us because it's interesting to people it's a help to you guys it's a help to farming Mm. um, if people do realize that there really is that connection and how do you think about the balance of what you're going to choose for the radio program and and the accuracy of what you're trying to report how do you mean sorry how important is the accuracy so the balance of both because often there's a different point of view isn't there so Mm. for example with the tb argument yeah you'll have the discussion between Um, the farmers who are concerned about their cattle and maybe the badger group who decides on the accuracy Mm. and the balance of that report Mm. yeah balance I think is the most important word there isn't it and uh I think in print journalism, like in newspapers, they, they have far fewer restrictions effectively on what they can or can't say. So often when you read the newspaper, you will see something that comes across as a stronger report because they're able to give opinion. Um, but we're controlled by Ofcom, so we really can't give opinion. Certainly, commercial radio is even more uh, restricted because it's a business. We have to make money. If we get fined thousands of pounds by Ofcom, <laughs> yeah. we go out of business. It's as simple as that. So the balance, really, it doesn't matter. You know, I, I can talk to you from your point of view you and that's fine and get your opinion across as long as I talk to DEFRA as well for instance and and put their opinion at the same time I mean if in a perfect world you never have one opinion getting more weight than the other it's always perfectly balanced yeah do you get a lot of feedback from listeners if you if you put out a report on something fairly controversial yeah, absolutely. I think with the TB, we had a lot of coverage over a particular farm <coughs> that was getting national uh, attention. That was about. a really interesting report. Yeah, and it was it was about some people who were really struggling because they'd been told that they had to slaughter various cattle over, I think, a number of years because they were suspected of having TB. And every time it had come back that actually there were no lesions, I think, which yep. are the signs of them actually having TB. Listen to me. Yeah. I'm an expert now. And, and so it's very frustrating to them because they felt like, well, these cattle have been slaughtered. We don't even know if there's anything wrong with them again it's coming back to the fact that it is relevant to people people do care about that and so yeah we got a lot of people then getting in touch mainly from agriculture saying we heard that report same things happening to us we're very frustrated too can we talk about it and then you're kind of in a difficult position of saying well there's only so much space i'm afraid but um yeah you know a good story by how many people get in touch and how many people say to you afterwards i heard that yeah that was good what are you looking for when you phone a farmer up for an interview is it, uh, you know, a bit of, bit of a row or what is it? Well, the problem I often find is, say, talking, using DEFRA as an example. Yeah. Um, can't say anything particularly about uh, what they do, so I've <laughs> got to be objective. But one thing about any government body is that they will always be quite dry and quite 
quite safe in what they say yeah. unless you can phone them up and say look this person here I've just an interview and they've just said a b and c and these are you know really strong points and they're incredibly angry and you can tell you know you can send transcripts over and say look how angry this person is and then you get the interesting reaction yeah so it's it's incredibly important for the listener to be able to hear your interviewee talking about something passionately and and making the blunt points not being scared to say look do you know this is putting me out of business yeah I'm angry about this this means that I can't you know this means I can't send my kid to the school I want to send to or something then it's relatable and the listeners care more and also it means you get to the real story from the government because they have to they have to reply yeah if they can fob you off with something half-hearted they will because that's the press officer's job you know yeah. there's no scandal in that that's what all press officers do government or no yeah one of the things I was going to ask you was the last two interviews that you conducted with Phil the first one it was I think it was about four by fours and transportation mm-hmm. and the fact that the Chancellor was going to penalise tax four by fours. Yeah. And you just put on the radio his point was that he had sympathy with the mothers and who took their kids to school by mm. four by four. But that actually missed out the point. Mm. How well, do you clip one how of do the you cuts. Yeah, that was one of the cuts. What we do is from from the interview, uh, you take different cuts from that. Yeah. And because you're restricting the amount of time we have in bulletins, yeah. we are not primarily a news station. So yeah. You have to find a way of taking different points from that interview so that it stays fresh Mm. for each bulletin. And so you can't get the person to make the same point over and over and over and over again in the interview. There's no point. So over the space of time when the different cuts went out during that day, he made the point that he felt it was unfair. And also the guy from uh, the Chamber of Commerce said, well, you can't expect farmers to, you know, stick their cattle in the mini or or something along those lines. So the point was definitely made, I felt, quite strongly as a whole. And, um, and the second one, which is the one I just laughed my head off at, was it was about TB. And the quote that you used from him was, Herefordshire farmers are revolting. <laughs> that was it. Really? Yeah. That wasn't, that wasn't an intentional pun. <laughs> Honestly, having met you, I know that's not true. But I, I wouldn't suppose that it was anyway. It was an intentional pun, I don't think. I'm trying to remember the clip now. but um, I just wondered what the point was. If, if you interviewed someone, is your strategy to take clips from different ones or would it not be more mm. worthwhile to have a, a complete piece in context that somebody mm. could relate with? Mm. It, yeah, I mean, in the perfect... I'm a, I'm a listener to BBC Radio 4. Yeah. And uh, whether I should admit that, I don't know. Oh, I think that's uh, fine. Working for the company. What they have is the luxury where they are primarily a news station, so they can give that kind of time. Mm. As I said before, being a business... The priority is with news because we have to do it contractually to be able to broadcast. Mm. And it's with news because people care about local news in their area. The thing is, when you, when you do an interview with someone who's an expert, like a farmer in something, mm. it is, in my experience, absolutely inevitable that they will listen back to that interview and say, that was hardly anything of what I said. That meant nothing. That was not the point I was trying to make. Yeah. Because they're an expert. They know all the background. And it may sound simplistic when they hear it back on the radio. Mm. And it's the same when interviews say people to do with schools. You know, it's any kind of area like that, any kind of subject where you're talking to somebody who really knows what they're talking about. Mm. But what you've got to remember is for the, the average listener who we're trying to present the news to, 
it's different. They're coming from it from a different angle and mm. they don't know all that the farmer knows. Yeah. And so when I'm editing out or choosing which clips to use, yes, to you they may sound like the most simplistic cuts, but if they're the ones that bring the story across to the listener most effectively, they're the ones I have to use. Mm. But if I clipped this interview and picked out certain words... Yes. Yeah, I'm sure you could you know, manage to say Heather is revolting or the you know the beast <laughs> came out. You know it, how yes. I'm just interested in how right. you actually just cut out a little tiny bit and use that. Yeah. Which as as a listener, yeah. I thought <laughs> I just laughed my head off. But well, it would I be, thought you know mm. to to bother to get an interview with a farmer that just says Herefordshire farmers are revolting didn't seem to be I, the most conducive to getting a good yeah. interview it would be something that he said and that I said, OK, that's interesting. I think I was probably wanting to use the word revolting as in staging a revolt yeah. rather than particularly <laughs> ugly or smelly or anything like that. Um, what advice, but, what advice yeah. would you offer to a farmer when they're being interviewed? Um, because you're the journalist and that's what we want to know, <laughs> all, our po- all our podcast listeners. Well, for, if, you're, if you're being interviewed by someone... First of all, the most important question is, how is this going to sound when it goes out? What story is this? Yeah. OK. So then the journalist can say, OK, what we're going to do is this is going to be a 30-second story. This is what I would say. It's a 30-second story where you have 20 seconds of the newsreader and 10 seconds of the interviewee. Yeah. In which case you then can say to yourself, ah, right, OK, and if I want to get my point across and take charge of this interview... Yeah. You know, or, or take my half yeah. of the interview, then I need to have it very clearly in my mind what it is I want to say. So almost a sound bite. If, there's, if the worst thing you can do, if you, if you want to avoid hearing something back and saying, mm, that's not quite what I meant, the worst thing you can do is waffle. Yeah. Um, because then the journalist has no choice but to pick bits here, there and everywhere trying to get to what you're trying to say. So MPs are brilliant at it. If you watch an MP on telly or hear them on radio, there's very few edits because they know they have to talk and they have to get their point through in no more than 15 seconds, yeah. which is not easy. That's the first thing. Yeah. Secondly, obviously, uh, well, on the other hand, you might be talking to someone, say, from a BBC station where they'll say, well, actually, it's going to be a two-minute piece, in which case you can relax a bit yeah. and you can have that in your mind. So ask the time. Ask mm. how long it's going to be. It's perfectly acceptable. It's acceptable, I think, just to not be, not be a control freak no, about no. it. But just it is your right to know when it goes out on air the kind of thing that's going to go out on air. Yeah. And it should be made clear to you. There shouldn't yeah. really be a surprise when you hear it go out on air. You may feel surprised, I didn't expect them to use that bit. Yeah. You shouldn't think, oh, I said that off the record and they put oh, it yeah. out. Or, yeah. or that's not what they said they were talking about. That's yeah. wrong. So it's, it's information is power. It's the same with anything. It's, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions. And always make it clear to the journalist, look, I'm not saying I'm not going to do it. I just want to know yeah. what's, what's going to happen. Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you, you very much. you me into a corner there. I feel like a politician. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I wormed my way out of it. You wiggled your way out of it beautifully. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. I reckon that our podcast listeners will really enjoy that because they don't quite know how to deal hmm. with uh, media. Tricky, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's important that we do it because we've got a really good story to share. Brilliant. Anyway, thank you. Lovely talking to you. Well, that went really well, didn't it? Well, I really think that Andy was brave to come. And thank you very much, Andy. We actually learnt a lot from it. Yeah, it was very informative. He did explain very well the error of my ways. Mm. Uh, it was a useful experience. And he, he responded to the, to the whole episode by emailing you. And he said how much he's enjoyed listening to the CD of the Wiggly Podcasts. 
And it really made him laugh, apparently. And he also said how much he learned. He also said, very excited, but also slightly nervous about being on it next week, Heather. I hope I won't get any nasty surprises. <laughs> we, we should have edited yeah. him to say, yeah. I hate farmers. Or yeah, something. something like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the other thing he said, uh, interestingly enough, was I really could imagine you doing something with the BBC, though. Who knows where it could go. Fantastic. Mm, praise indeed. And here's Monty. The Wiggly Wormcast podcast by Monty. A weekly fact on worms. Imagine how much water we could save by using a worm composting toilet. Many organisations such as the National Trust and the Centre of Alternative Technology use toilets stocked with thousands of wigglies. Stop press! Got to tell you, Rich, we got to number three in the iTunes science chart, number 69 on the US iTunes chart, and number 29 on the Irish chart. Why? Where's Australia? Well, they're not in there, are they? (laughs) I thought you were going to say it was 600 miles... Nautical, anyway, no. Rich. <laughs> That's Michael's already said it. <laughs> Rich, yeah. next week, yeah. myself, Rachel, Jode, and San go Dutch. That's right, yeah. I'm sure that's something you do regularly, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> Absolutely, what are you trying to say? <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. Except we're talking dirty again next week because we go and see how a worm farm works and where all our wigglies are bred. Excellent. Join us, listener, then. That'll be interesting.